right, team. Welcome back to the Man Talk Show. I am Connor Beaton, as always. Joining me today are AJ and Johnny, who are the co-founders of Art of Charm. And for the last 15 years, maybe you've heard of Art of Charm. They've personally helped more than 9,500 people boost their charisma, confidence, and leadership abilities, while also showing them how to create an extraordinary life of influence and social success, both personally and professionally. So what's interesting about these guys, they've done some amazing work. They've been in the game for a very long time. They have a really successful podcast, which I was on uh, recently, I think about a month or two ago. And they have interviewed, talked with, worked with, trained some of the the most phenomenal people. And, and they really, they, they do focus in on things like influence and building social connections and being able to develop more robust relationships, both uh, with an intimate partner and with other people. But what we're going to talk about today is the sort of generation of lost men that seems to be coming up in the world. So we talk about lost men. We talk about the decline of marriage rates. We, we talk about, are, are these young guys really that lost? Are men really that lost? Is masculinity, you know, do we have a crisis going on? We sort of mull some of these things over. So it's a really wonderful conversation. We talk about Red Pill community. We talk about Andrew Taylor. I mean, we really talk about a lot of different subjects not only topical, but in some ways, in some areas, a little bit controversial. So I really enjoyed it. I loved hearing what both these guys, AJ and John, had to say. Uh, I hope that you enjoy as well. Don't forget to man this conversation forward. Man it forward. Share this with somebody that you know will enjoy it. I think this is one of those conversations. If you've ever followed Art of Charm, if you've ever heard of these guys before, or even if you haven't, but you just really enjoyed this convo, this might be something to send to a buddy, you know, listen to with your men's group or with a, a friend or a partner and have some conversation about it. So with all that said, I'm going to welcome the guys onto the show. So let's go. All right, gentlemen, welcome to the Man Talk Show. Wonderful to have you both here. There we go. We got AJ, we got John. How are you guys doing today? Excited to be here. Thank you for having us on. We had a great conversation with you on our podcast and we're excited again. Fantastic. How are you doing, Connor? Very, very good. So it's wonderful to have you here. I mean, I've been tracking your work for a long time, and I feel like this conversation is a long time coming. I had the honor of being on your show recently. We had a solid conversation and got into it, which was a blast. And uh, I'm looking forward to to this one. So why don't we start, AJ, with you? Um, I can't let you guys off the hook just because there's three of us in in a conversation today. Uh, I, I will get DMs from the people that listen to the show. <laughs> Why didn't you ask them the question? You know, I'm like 600 episodes deep and I've been asking this question of everybody. So, uh, so AJ, why don't we start with you? So can you tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today? Absolutely. And it's a great question. Thank you for asking. So I remember it like yesterday, I was actually packing up a rider truck full of my belongings in Ann Arbor to head out to Manhattan to move in with John. And I had just dropped out of graduate school. So my entire life, the story that I told myself, I told my family, and then of course my family shared about me and my career trajectory was I wanted to be a doctor. So much so that I dressed up as a doctor on Halloween. I went and hung out at the hospital on my off time, volunteered. And when I got to the University of Michigan, I started pre-med and I was excited about medicine, but I didn't really have a great why other than making my family happy at that point. And 
my career counselor had suggested that I do some research to bolster my med school application. So I started doing research in a lab and ultimately that led to graduate school and I hated it. I just felt completely lost. I felt like an imposter, like everyone in graduate school had a solid why. They wanted to be there. They were excited to be there. And I was dreading the long walk to the lab in the snow. And I started the podcast basically as a hobby, chasing down my hopes and dreams romantically and trying to find resources for a young man like myself at that time to actually attract quality women into my life without being inauthentic. That podcast sparked the creation of the company. And ultimately, I decided to drop out of graduate school. And I had to pack all of my belongings in that truck and head to Manhattan and tell my family that I was dropping out of graduate school, which was ripping the bandaid off. And my father especially was incredibly disappointed. Didn't understand why I would do such a thing. He thought it was such a solid career path for me the key to success, everything was laid out in front of me. And I'd put all this work and effort and energy into getting into graduate school and to leave to pursue a podcast, which again, 16 years <laughs> ago, you know, podcasting now is in a much different place, but was filled with insecurity, filled with doubt, filled with what is this entrepreneurship, running your own business and coaching people? What are you doing? And that decision set forth the next 16 years of my life. And uh, what we're going to talk about here today. And it was scary at the time, but I knew I had to do it. I had that calling and I'm so glad that I packed every last possession and, and headed out to the city. That's awesome, man. I can only imagine what that conversation with dad must have been like, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, I rehearsed it a few you times. Know, by the way, I'm going to, I'm basically going to go start my own radio show, but there's, it's not on a radio broadcasting network and uh, nobody's really heard of podcasting. And I think this is what, you know, you're basically saying I'm, I'm, I'm dropping out and I'm going to go be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. That's good stuff. All right. And John, what about yourself? Tell us a story about a defining moment for you. Well, first of all, I got to say this this question right out of the gate, Connor, really puts people in a position to do some scrambling in their mind to get something together. <laughs> you could have done us a favor and asked us at the end when things are flowing. But no way, man! I never, I never, I never give anybody a heads up. It's right out the gates and it's right up front. <laughs> all right. Well, AJ was giving uh, his origin story of of starting this company, so I'll I'll do that with mine because I've. At 49, I have uh, many of these these moments in my life, but we'll start uh, there. It sets up for our conversation today. I'm a little uh, older than AJ. I'm, I'm eight years older, so I'm a Gen Xer, and, and I grew up in a very arty household. I, my dad was a factory worker. My mom was a hairdresser, but my dad played in bands on the weekend. Music was a huge part of everything that went on in, in our house. It was always, the radio was always on. And then when MTV came around, that was always on. Uh, while my dad was at work, my mom had music playing. My dad would come home from work and then uh, his band that would be playing on the weekends would be rehearsing downstairs. So naturally as a young man with uh, who wanted to be like his father, I took up musical instruments there at the house and because music was always playing and I made that connection between that and my mom's attraction for my dad, it made it very easy to, to fall down that artistic route. So I basically spent all of my, my 
youth uh, in, in that mindset of wanting to play music, wanting to be involved in music. That's an incredibly deep passion uh, for myself. And so when I was 21 years old, I moved to North Carolina, uh, UNC to be uh, precise. They had an incredible music scene that was happening. This was at the same time when college scenes were sort of blowing up in the early 90s. And Chapel Hill was no exception. They had an incredible music scene. And they were also part of what was to be the Southern college circuit. And so all these bands would be touring. And for me to be in a place where things were happening and there was a lot of energy, it was, it was a very exciting time being a young man. I put all of my focus to that, wanting to be in bands, playing in bands. I was then had gotten a job working at a bar where I was a bit... Uh, grooming myself to be a talent buyer and uh, as well as working out of there as my hub to be touring and working with musicians and just be surrounded by uh, my passion. Going into my later 20s, though, things were starting to fizzle out. The musical landscape was was changing. All of this technology had then come into, into play as well. I mean, when I moved to North Carolina, there was no MySpace or Facebook or social media um, and so all of that changed the, the musical landscape. And I was seeing everything that I cherished about music sort of being replaced. And you could even make an argument that the music industry that I grew up wanting to be a part of didn't exist anymore. That was cast aside. Mm -hmm. a, a new era was coming in due to all this technology and everything. And it was a very confusing time. But I, I was bartending and I wanted to make my shifts and my work as a bartender more interesting. I, I had to be there every night. It started to, to get a bit stale. Uh, going into my later 20s, I was looking for that, well, to shake things up in my world and, and looking for the next phase of life. And I started to get into psychology uh, now that the internet was being, was well shaped and I would be sitting at the bar. Uh, late at night after doing stocking, thinking, you know, we're in this new world with all the world's information at your fingertips. What do you want to do with that? Well, watch music videos, uh, watch prank videos. Like, well, let's use this technology to enhance life. And because I was surrounded by people and I worked at a job that was very social, I wanted to have a better understanding of people to help with my interests and engage better with the crowds that were coming in and just to make my job more interesting. So that began researching and getting into self-development, but also on the psychology and interpersonal relationship side of things. And that new interest became my latest obsession. And the more I kept digging in and surrounding myself with people who were also interested uh, in these topics, that found myself work uh, working for a small self-development company and relationship company in D.C., and that's uh, where I had met AJ. And it was not long after that that I had found myself in New York putting this company together, and AJ was coming out to to join and make this happen. That's awesome. I love the the trajectory. I mean, I I think I said a little bit about this, but like I had a music career heavy air quotes, music career as a classical singer before. And I didn't leave because of technology. I left because I, I joined a, 
kind of a dying sector of the music industry, which probably started dying like two or 300 years ago. But it is interesting, you know, I think you and you and I have interesting paths towards uh, what we do now. And I mean, you know, AJ, your path is, is really interesting as well. I mean, that's a huge risk. And, you know, I think I, I look at like the young men today that are out there and taking that risk is, you know, it's, it's pretty substantial, right? Being able to, to just allow yourself to step into what you're really wanting to do. So, you know, one of the reasons why I, you know, I think we're going to have a really cool conversation is we're going to talk about what it's like to be a young man. And I think, you know, go, go through some of those trajectories, some of those challenges and you talk about technology disrupting the music industry, but one of the things that I, uh, I think we should probably talk about later, I'm going to sort of like earmark this for later on, is how something like AI is going to disrupt dating and mating and connection. And so I'm going to pause on that one and we'll, we'll circle back around to it. But where I want to begin is this notion of lost men. And I want to start with that because you know, I've noticed in the last couple of years, this real influx of young men going online and, and searching out. I mean, my, my biggest audience is, is men between the ages of 24 and 34 by far, you know, that's by far the biggest part of the audience that tunes into the show and follows me online and my YouTube channel and, and, uh, on my, on my podcast and on Instagram. I'm curious from your guys's perspective, what have you seen change? Because when I grew up, and I don't know about you guys, I mean, when I grew up, I, I just, I didn't feel like I, I knew I lacked a little bit of direction. You know, I was working construction after high school. I, did, I definitely didn't have a path towards what I'm doing today. <laughs> you know, I was working in a fucking gravel pit, but I don't remember me and my buddies sort of feeling this general sense of lostness. And when I talk to a lot of young men today, and a lot of the questions that they ask me through the platforms, it's this feeling of like, I feel lost in culture, in society, in my career, in dating and relationships. And so I'm curious if that's a me thing or if you guys have experienced that. And, and if so, what do you see contributing to that? And so maybe I'll just start with AJ to kind of get your thoughts or John, did you want to go first? It looked like you, yeah. you had something straight out the gates. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll just start. So well, there's two things here, and I'm, I'm going to let AJ talk about on the, the millennial side because that's a big part of that. And, and for myself, I was guided very early. There, like, I think what the internet and this technology does is it gives us so much choice that it makes it difficult to, to find a path early on and pursue that. Uh, and then not only that, there's just so much distraction. So for, for myself as a young man, I gravitated towards music very early and there was nothing else in my life except for skateboarding. As a young man, I needed to physically exert myself and that was the sport that after I realized I was too small to play competitive football and I wasn't the fastest to be playing uh, on the soccer field or baseball, uh, skateboarding fit perfectly. It allowed me to do what I needed to do to mess myself up, to exert physically and to go out there. But creatively, it was music and that, and it consumed me and I, and I, and I followed its calling. There was no choice in, in the matter. And I think for a lot of young people today, uh, they're, they're distracted with everything that the technology has to offer, computer games and so forth, but also the abundance of choice. So it's like, well, which path 
do I follow? And I think that makes it very difficult. Yeah. So like the choice, the choice paradox, right? Mm -hmm. The more choice that we have, the harder it is to choose. That's an interesting perspective on that. I think I agree entirely, but I, I also would just add, like, it feels like, I mean, when I was, when I was younger, the, the internet just didn't have as much information on it. Like I couldn't go onto YouTube and, and look up, like, how do I find my purpose? Right. You know, there, you know, YouTube was just sort of like coming online. I mean, I, I think in like 2007 or 2008, I joined Facebook for the first time. And, you know, by, by that point, you know, I was just entering into college or university. I think I was like 24, 25 years old. The utility of those platforms was radically different. Yes. Right. So, yeah. So AJ, can, can you just weigh in on what you've seen and maybe speak to this notion of like lost boys or like lost young men? Absolutely. I, I think to the point you're making, consumption is overwhelming us. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to consume information yet so difficult for so many of us to implement all this information that we're consuming. And those empty calories of consumption in a world where everyone's a creator, everyone's an influencer, everyone has something to say, but no one's actually doing the work, we find ourselves lost and overwhelmed in this sea of information. I think another factor, and I know Scott Galloway has touched on this, is that the rungs of achievement have grown in height. So the amount of work and effort and energy it takes to expend, to reach a level in your career where you can buy a house, you can raise a family, you can live a comfortable life, which was guaranteed for our parents who were boomers and the greatest generation, has really required an amount of effort and exertion that's led a lot of young men to set aside hobbies, passions, pursuits, romance, and even social lives. And we're finding so many of our clients are reaching their 30s, reaching what they thought was that level of success that would get them the car, and then saying, well, I don't have a partner. I don't have a social group. I have no one to go on the boat with me. I have no one to that I'm excited to date in my life. What happened? And in large part, their career has consumed all these other areas of their life that they need to be working on to feel fulfilled to build the relationships that lead to a happy, fulfilling life. And the longer the wait is, the longer they put it off, the harder it is to get it back when your peers have married off, when your friends are already having kids and you focus so much on your career to get further ahead. And then the third factor in all of this is technology has allowed us to supplement our social life with the digital life and to feel more connected digitally than ever before. And our real world social skills have dwindled. Mm. So if you go online and play a video game and slap on a headset and you listen to the communication that's going on, that's not fulfilling communication that leads to great relationship building. That's a lot of shit talking, trolling, negative commentary, tearing one another down. That doesn't actually lead to fostering the relationships that we need as men to really thrive. But that's what we're doing outside of work. We're throwing on the headset. We're hopping online. We're chasing followers. We're adding friends on social media. But we talk a lot about this concept of a third place outside of your work and home where you can actually just be a man with other men in person. And that corner bar, those social groups, they're disappearing. Mm. And COVID washed a ton more of them away. So we're going to these digital corners and these digital outlets that really only amplify outrage and extreme 
which isn't a form of communication that builds those nurturing relationships that we need in our life as men. Hey, Joe, I just want to add to one point to that as well, which is a lot of the figures that you're interacting with in these online corners are not even real. There's a high probability that the person that you're talking to is not even real. Well, then you can't really count this relationship as real, can you? Yeah, it's interesting. We, my podcast producer and the gentleman that helps me research a lot of the data for my newsletter and some of my social media and, and my podcast and some of my content, we pulled up some stats recently about like the gender discrepancy on Tinder, you know, about like, I think it's like 70% of the profiles on Tinder are, are men and the other 30% are women. And then of that 30%, something like 20% are bots. Right. And so like, as a dude, you're just like, <laughs> you know, you're interacting with this very small cohort of women that are on there. But, you know, I, I think AJ, to your point, I love what you said about this notion of consumption, because I, I get caught in that too, where I'm like, I'm listening to some of my favorite podcasts. I'm consuming, a, you know, an audio book. I'm, I can get caught in the trap even today of like consuming equals I'm doing something, you know, because there's almost like this little dopamine hit and reward system baked into us that makes it feel like we're accomplishing something. And so I can track back to who I was in my early 20s, right? The guy sitting around playing PlayStation you know, with his buddies and drinking beers and Southern comfort, which is just terrible, right? Like, like Southern comfort and Coke is just, it's a recipe for diabetes. And I don't know why anybody is allowed to drink that shit, uh, but I loved it. I love drinking that. Uh, not even, I mean, I've been sober now for a couple of years. So I don't drink that anymore, but you know, I think about this notion of consumption. I can put myself back into a position of being in my younger years in my early twenties and know that it would be so easy for me to consume porn and weed and booze and online content and podcasts and like audiobooks and watch YouTube videos and make and have it feel like I was doing something when in actuality there's just kind of like this isolation and non-action and non-social interaction that's happening. So that kind of brings me to this this place of wanting to talk a little bit about isolation because there was a recent study and I'm, I'm sure you guys saw this and it was, um, it was a very interesting one, but there was this recent study that came out that was talking about male friendship. I think it was from 2021 and it was talking about how only 27% of men said in this study that they had at least six friends, close friends compared to 55% in 1990. And then they also found that 15 to, I think it was 15 to 20% so that they didn't have any close friends at all. They didn't even have one. I found that to be rather alarming and, and a little bit shocking. And so how have you guys seen isolation You know, with the men that you're working with? How have you seen that change over the years? Because you guys have been in this game for a while. Like You guys have been working with men for you know, 15 years now. I've, I've been doing this for a decade now. I'm curious to, to see how have you seen it shift why do you think some of this isolation is on the rise and how do we as men begin to combat that a little bit? Because I think, and, and, or why should we, right? Is like, is this even a problem or are we, are we making like a mountain out of a molehill? Johnny, do you want to go first or do you want me to hop in? I saw you chomping at the bit. I'll, I'll kick it off. Well, it's funny that you mentioned, yes, we've been doing this at this point and, and plus the work that I was doing before starting the Art of Charm, close to 20 years now that we've been in doing this. And 
that's a lot of, of time. And so there's a lot of change. But one thing that has continued was the trouble that we started seeing when we started this and got into, into this, that trajectory has kept on going. And if anything, it's only gotten worse. Men are farther off the reservation and what it means to find purpose, meaning, masculinity, full, reaching their full potential. And I don't see it getting any better except for the men who have woken up to the unsatisfaction in their life and spinning their wheels and wanting something more and going out and finding it. The issue is that they have to go through a lot of ridiculousness and parody in order to find quality uh, and good information. And we look for parody uh, or parody attracts us when we're, when we're desperate. And, you know, it's so funny. I was, somebody mentioned about Andrew Tate being this parody of, of masculinity. And I was laughing because what I, what I see is a, a very guy who's built up chomping at a cigar. But when I was a young man, I went to every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that I could go to because he was this parody of this character of masculinity. So I, it's like, to me, it's like nothing really has changed in that aspect when men want to engage in what it means to to be a man. Yeah. Yeah. The thing for me that strikes me in all of this is the isolation is happening from so many different areas. So you're seeing it at work. We do work with the Boy Scouts, now the Scouts, and their numbers are dwindling. You see the rise of secularism, like all of these places that we as men would have found other communities in real life, in person, these activities that were group oriented are now becoming more and more individual. And the sports we're engaging in are individual. They're not team. So many of our clients over the last 10 years, Johnny and I would make sports references and analogies and, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't play team sports. And when we started this company, you know, 16 years ago, a fair number of our clients at least played some team sport growing up. But younger and younger clients are just not engaging in any team activity of any kind. And then we look at what's going on with schools getting more isolated and online and obviously us all building up an online persona. And as Johnny said, following these online personas and even these online personas, right? Andrew Tate is not hanging out in a group of guys. Dan Bilzerian is not hanging out with a group of guys. They're hanging out surrounded by women. And that's become the new version of masculine is to not have a group, to not be part of a tribe, to be a lone wolf and to stack up external validation through women, through cars, through travel, through things that seem flashy and inspiring online, but aren't holistic, nurturing environments for us as men to really, again, thrive and to foster those relationships that we need. So. For me, it's false gods that we're looking at in these parody figures, and it's completely disconnecting from group activities that created the socialization and the connection that we needed as men to form bonds that wouldn't put us in a place of feeling like that lone wolf, like we're, the world is against us and, and we have to do everything on our own to get ahead. And when I think of my grandfather, I don't think of him sitting there surfing through YouTube videos to find the 10th one on how to build the shed. I think of him grabbing the hammer and going out back and whacking some two by fours together. And if the wall fell off, he'd get some screws, you know, mm. but so much of this consumption is, well, I got to find the next thing and I got to find the, the better strategy and I got to find the absolute best mm -hmm. of something. 
instead of taking the action that we need in our lives that actually builds the skills. So turning that knowledge into intelligence is lacking in so many of these consumptive practices that we have distracting us. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to, to witness the shift. I like what you're saying about being able to sort of go after what we want and take action and do that alongside other people. And what is, inter- I mean, Andrew Tate is such an interesting character. He's so polarizing. And what I've, you know, what I've found fascinating is to like to even mention his name is to elicit some kind of uh, attack from one side or the other, especially if you take a central stance on it and don't even talk about his actions or what he's talking about. If you just talk about like why he's, you know, risen in the cultural commentary uh, is to elicit a, a kind of attack. And th- that's been very fascinating to watch and witness. But, you know, I do think, John, to what, you're, what you were saying about we as young men want role models, you know, and I, I think as a, as a kid, my grandfather was one of those role models for me. You know, I played team sports. I had, you know, I had great coaches sometimes that, that I could look up to that were pushing me. Sure. I had lots of teammates. And I, I wonder if we're doing young men a disservice of, you know, not encouraging them. And I almost said forcing, but like <laughs> not, you know, not like sort of holding their feet to the fire of going to do that. Like, you know, I think about my, my little brother, one of my little brothers, and he was in team sports and he just always, he just never wanted to stick with it. And my parents just kept letting him drop out of it. And, you know, I think it, I think in some ways it was a disservice, you know, because there's some valuable aspects to that. And I think the other side is that it's so easy to go online now and see all of this, like, you know, red pill, black pill, purple pill content that's attempting to give young men a framework that they can operate from that's very rigid and sort of explains everything that's happening in this nice, neat little bow that makes the confusion of our modern time seem clear, but it's, it's oftentimes not that simple. And so can we diverge into red pill territory for a second? Can we just, are you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Because this is something that I've been super fascinated by. You know, I've I've consumed a lot of the content, watched it, kind of get it, almost like trying to study what these guys are doing and saying. I think there's value in some of it. I, you know, I think some of it is maybe not the best. But I'm, I'm curious from your guys' perspective, because one of the commentaries that I can hear from the Red Pill community is, well, this is a result of feminism. You know, this is a result mm. of X, Y, and Z. And I've always been a little hesitant around not only engaging those conversations, but anytime it goes into the territory of like, oh, this is women's fault. <laughs> it's like, well, that feels a little like that feels a little um, immature. And so I'm, I'm curious about your perspectives in terms of has feminism potentially had negative impacts or consequences that we that we should be discussing or is this simply a byproduct of us as men not taking responsibility for our younger generations and being better role models for them? Like, what are some of the intersections that you see happening there? And then just to add another layer of how do you see the sort of red pill commentary playing into a young man's life? Because it has become way more popular in today's culture than it ever was, you know, even five to 10 years ago. 
So I don't, I don't know who wants to jump in first on that sort of like three pronged question, <laughs> but yeah. Well, I, I think you, you touched on this a little bit earlier with the the stats on Tinder and let's be honest, the rise of online dating has changed dating and mating for the modern man. And mm-hmm. there's a subset who are incredibly successful because the algorithm self-selects for the right height and the, the right features that are presented to women, they get 80, 90 plus percent of the matches. And then you have the rest of the guys who feel like they have a lot of good stuff going on, but can't seem to get success online, feeling disillusioned. And the easiest person in that scenario to blame is the women. Mm. So of course, the narrative from the red pill community is going to fit with the experience that they're feeling when they open an app. It's very obvious. The rejection is very obvious in online dating where many men are running from in-person rejection and trying to go to the apps to, to flee that feeling. And of course, now it's reinforcing this narrative. The other part of it is we have more options than ever. So even the guys who are successful can't figure out when to actually stop and settle down and choose the right person for them. Mm. And I get that question coming out of just getting married. Like, how did you know that she was the one? Like, how did you, after all dating all these different people and, and teaching this to men, like know that she was the right one. There's a lot of confusion around there with now all of the options we had. And again, go into my grandfather analogy, you know, his options were basically a two blocks radius. <laughs> it was like, who's friends of the family and who hangs out at church? Like that was it, you know, and it, he then stuck with my grandma through ups and downs and through slight faults and errors and mistakes made and, and foot and mouth moments and vice versa. Whereas now we have the subset of men getting exceedingly more matches and options online than the rest, but they're choosing not to settle for any of those options because they have so many options. And then you have the bulk of men online struggling and not getting options and then very easily pointing to feminism, pointing to women as they're the problem now, instead of actually taking action in their own life to improve their options, getting off the apps, going back in person, and pursuing passions, pursuits, and hobbies that are going to make them a more attractive version of themselves. And that's where I feel the red pill community falls short. doesn't really look at the self-development piece that we as men have to do now with more options available in the mating equation than ever before to improve our lot. Mm. Yeah. If, it could, if I'm just going to jump in there real quick, John, before I, before I come over to you. And I mean, I think what's interesting about the dating apps is like, it, what I love about what you're saying is that I think it's, amplified and cranked up the volume on the amount of rejection that you can experience, you know, a very short period of time, because, you know, if you're swiping right through a hundred different people and none of them, you know, none of them respond to you and none of them match with you. I mean, that's harsh. It's not like walking up to one person. It's like, Oh fuck, a hundred people just said no to me, you know? And so I think one of the challenges that I see a lot of men dealing with is like that volume of rejection is very real and that can skew our perspective of, of women for sure. And then on the other side, I mean, a buddy of mine and I had this conversation because he was using dating apps and he was just striking out and, you know, he's, he's good looking dude. He's, you know, successful, creative. And it was an interesting conversation. And because in the conversation, he, he was getting angry at me. Because he was like, I know if you were on the app, you'd, you'd be crushing it. And because, you know, in the past, I was on a dating app very, very briefly. And, you know, great success, as Borat would have said. And so, you know, he was like, you just don't, you don't understand because you're one of the percentages of guys that's going to knock it out of the park in these dating apps. And I was like, oh, 
yeah, okay, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, that there is this small subset of men that are, you know, sort of cleaning house on these dating apps. But then that brings the other problem, right? The choice paradox of like, how do you decide to settle down? And I've got that question a ton. Like, you know, today my wife and I are celebrating our, well, as we're recording this, we're celebrating our fourth anniversary today of being married. And, and it is a challenging thing to, to kind of know and decide. And so you have to do that work that you're talking about to refine your choices, to refine your values, to refine who you are and what matters to you and the type of person that you actually want to commit to, you know? And so I, I think that everything you just said is, is spot on, but I just wanted to add that in. John, I'm going to go to you and get your take and see what you yeah. see what well, say. It's the movement is certainly a result of, of multiple things. And uh, the feminism idea is certainly one of them. So the red pill moment wasn't so much about pushing back on feminism as it was to wake young men up to say, hey, you need to get out of all of this propaganda, all this messaging, because this is not for you and it's actually hurting you. You as a young man need to be building yourself up finding out your interests, um, developing and building your networks, educating yourself because you are a protector and a provider. You are not somebody who is going to make a living uh, talking smack on these apps. Like, and this is the thing that we, we hear this joke all the time in the, in the red pill community of you're going to go talk smack on, on to somebody on the internet, but you'd never say that stuff to somebody to their face. Right. And the, that shift is incredibly important because all of the men who are talking smack on the, on these apps are not developing themselves. In fact, they're taking on traits that are unbecoming of men who are building themselves up, who are, are going to also hinder them from finding obstacles in their life and overcoming them rather than hiding behind a computer and just running their mouth. To develop as a man, you have to be out there. You have to be building, which means there will be hurdles that you have to overcome in order to build what it is that you want. It's all of those challenges that make you a man. So the red pill, the idea and the movement is to say, guys, wake up. Don't get attracted and, and get stuck in this because this is going to get you lost. Everything that you need to do as a man is out there in the world world, building, uh, networking strengthening knowledge, protecting and provide all the skills that you're going to need to protect and, and provide. Mm. And there's another phenomenon that we discussed with, with past guests on our show, which is the, the rise of divorce has left many children fatherless. So growing up in a household with a single mom who's often working and a dad who either because of court order or for various reasons is no longer active in that parenting role there are no male figures who have put themselves in the arena and actually done the work. So these empty calories, these gurus, these parodies become that only person in their life as the guiding light and the principle that they aspire to at this point. And it's really sad when we see the loss of sports, the loss of a father figure in young men's lives, and then the removal of any of these challenges with some of the parenting style that we see. Talk about lawnmower parenting, helicopter parenting, these obstacles that Johnny's talking about. Well, they've been removed. And for many men, the first obstacle that they then feel is in their dating life mm. when they get rejected. 
when that person that they go on a date with doesn't want to spend time with them or the relationship starts and they're not working on themselves. They don't have a social life. And she says, I'm not attracted to you anymore. It's the first obstacle that many of these young men are facing. And again, because of that, it's very easy to point the finger at the opposite sex because that's the first obstacle they felt. Yeah, I love that connection to the absence of male role models. You know, that's that stat that like one in four kids in America are going to grow up without a father in the household, I think is is massive, right? Because then when you don't have that masculine role model in some capacity, then you're going to, you're going to search for it, right? It's like that saying, nature abhors a vacuum. So just because there's a vacancy of masculine energy in your life as a young boy doesn't mean you're, you don't feel like you want some of that masculine energy to help guide you. And so, you know, I, I can see, I, I definitely get the allure, you know, and again, like I said, I, I don't think it's necessarily all bad or the perfect solution on the other side of it. And I can get where a lot of young men are coming from because I, I think one of the challenges that I've continued to see, like we, we've just been putting some content together on how 42% of American households, women are the breadwinner. Right. So women are earning out earning their their male counterparts within 42% of the American households. But when you look at the research around women's selection preferences, they haven't changed. So women still want a man to earn equally, if not more than them, with a heavy preference on out earn them. And so there's this mating crisis and discrepancy that's emerging where women are still wanting a man who can go and get resources, right? Has financial stability, is able to earn equivalent, if not more than them. And and men know that, right? Guys know that. And so I think that this plays into it in some way because guys are like, well, hold on. (laughs) You're saying you want me to be more emotional and more vulnerable and open up more. But when it really comes down to it, one of your top priorities is my resource acquisition capacity, you know, like my ability to go and and earn. So how do you see that playing into the conversation with a lot of the the men that you are are working with? Like, are you guys seeing more men that are starting to come and work with you where their partners are out earning them? Is it creating discrepancies within the relationships? Like, how are you seeing guys handle that? And And do you have any thoughts or recommendations on how to even traverse that part of the dating market? Because I think it's a very real thing that so few people are talking about. So few, I have heard so few conversations around this. So to the point about resources and women out earning men, let's be honest. I mean, the traditional male archetype is the breadwinner. It's wrapped in all popular culture. It's wrapped in most religious text. I mean, it's, it's culturally been passed on for generation after generation as we've lived in the patriarchy. And this is a recent phenomenon. So we're talking about 20 years of change and shift happening at a very ra- rapid clip. And it's happening to, you know, this generation of men. And now they're coming out the other end. And as I was saying earlier, around those rungs of success, getting higher and higher and higher, requiring more and more output of time, effort, an exertion to even reach a level to be the the breadwinner that you'd hoped and to reach the American dream. Well, many men that we're seeing are choosing to avoid the dating life altogether, which is why we saw in that study, 33% of men say they're in committed relationships. The other 66% are probably out there resource gathering and saying, I don't have time to chase after women right now, truthfully. And the other part that we're seeing is they've basically just given up on socializing. 
and they're taking on side hustles and other jobs and giving up hobbies and passions and creativity to meet this one criteria that's so important in the dating realm that's also doing them a disservice. Because great, you paid for the date. Well, she's going to want to meet your friends. She's going to want to do cool things with you. She's going to want to know more about your personality. And if your personalities work and then off to your side hustle and then doing the coding job on the side and trying to master chat GPT, well, it's not going to be a fun, exciting life for her to have fun enjoying with you outside of you paying for the date. And many of the men who are in committed relationships that we're working with, who now are with partners that are out earning, are looking at, well, do I become the one who stays home and do I do the kin work? Is it better for me to, to tap out from work and let her continue to earn and, and help support her potential and take on a new role entirely that many men have no understanding or role model in? Like that's an entirely new phenomenon that we're seeing that no one's discussing either. So I think it's a huge challenge. I don't know that we necessarily have answers to it. We are fortunate that we chose entrepreneurship. And I think that's why you're seeing the rise of influencers and content creators around the solopreneur and finding freedom and fire movement through entrepreneurship and building. Same. And building as a man, building a business that can get you much higher earning potential than working a nine to five job that many men are facing. But it is an uphill climb and it's not something that we were prepared for. And there's certainly not even very many thought leaders discussing it. As much as we've tried to search these discussions out for our show as well, we're seeing it internally in our coaching clients bringing it up, but we're not seeing many people who are addressing it in a meaningful way. Yeah, it's, I think it's a very interesting conundrum. You know, like I grew up between two family systems and on the one side, it was more traditional where my stepfather was the main breadwinner. My mom still worked. But then on the other side, my stepmom made quite a bit more than my dad. And it was a very interesting dynamic. And I think especially because in that generation, that was quite uncommon. You know, it was much more of an uncommon thing. But what has slowly happened and sort of silently happened within our culture is it has become almost the norm. And yet we haven't really, I don't think society has had conversations well enough to say, okay, how do we deal with this change within marriage, within relationships, when it's kind of going against some of the mating preferences that we know globally? I mean, David Buss has done a tremendous amount of work on this and, and shown unequivocally that women across cultures, globally, across every nation, religious preference, ethnicity, et cetera, women prefer men who have resource acquisition capacity that either have resources right now or showcase the traits to acquire resources in the future. And so, you know, we can sort of talk about the impact that it's having on relationships sort of vaguely, but I think one of the things that does become valuable is, and I'm with you, I don't necessarily have the answer for this. But I do think that being able to work on yourself, you know, develop a good life, to develop a good friend circle, to like one of the things that I started to do, because I, I knew nothing about finances, <laughs> you know, all, pretty much up until my early 30s, like I knew jack shit, you know, it really was, it was terrible. And so when I started to learn about those things, I realized that that adds value to who I am. But I also started to realize as I was dating more women that the quality of my male relationships was actually a sign of status. 
And that became very fascinating for me. And even in the work that I, that I do today, like one of the things that my wife and I have talked about, cause she's, you know, she's a really renowned marriage and family therapist, which is like, what a thing to get in a, you know, what a person to get in a relationship with, you know, a relationship therapist. Right. Um, but one of the things that I realized very early on in our relationship is that she loved the kind of, I don't know how else to put it, but the status that came along with me having a really robust group of men and that women often gauge the value of a man based on the, how other men perceive that man. So I'm curious about, do you guys want to just say something on that, AJ? It looks like you have something. Yeah. What I wanted to add to that is also there's with you having a robust social life and having a great friend group, there's also healthy boundaries being established. So what we're finding with a lot of our clients, especially those coming out of a breakup or a divorce where they've let their social ties weaken or fade away, is they throw themselves into the dating pool and it's fun to go on first dates. It's exciting. Hookup culture. I mean, there's so much opportunity and, and now you can just match with people, not even leaving your house, that they end up having no boundaries with these women that they're meeting. And they're like, yeah, my Saturday's free. Let's do it. And all of a sudden it's like, well, that's not attractive either. So your social group gives you status, but it also creates boundaries in your life. Having passions and hobbies creates natural boundaries where you say, no, I'm not going to give up a weekend for you. I just met you on an app and we had one great coffee date, but no, I have things going on in my life. There's a mission that I'm on, I'm building. And that again comes with you investing in that social side of your life, with you investing time, resources, and energy in other areas, developing yourself as a guy that... I think a lot of men are, are struggling with, with this cheesecake factory menu opportunity options that is the online dating world. The swipe life as we, we joke about it, you know, with some of our clients, we enforce a, a two to one date to social event per week rule so that they're not over indexing on first dates and just match, match, match. They're actually investing time in, in meeting peers and building social ties and joining a bowling league and joining a run club and finding other opportunities to connect with fellow men outside of dating, 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 which is exciting after a breakup or divorce. Yeah, I love that. A bowling league. That's <laughs> I love that that was the example, right? It's like, yeah, let's go bowling, right? That's That sounds freaking awesome. But yeah, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. And the, the two-to-one ratio, I, I think, is also very, very healthy. Like that's just, if you know, having two social events with your buddies or you know, just out, outside in the world playing some, whatever it is, pickleball or et cetera. And, and then having the date, there's a great, I, I think that's going to set up whatever relationship you have in the future for success, right? There's a really wonderful saying, I think it was Francis Weller. He's an American therapist that I had on my show. And he said, it takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to raise a relationship. And so I think we've actually under-indexed in our culture the value that our external friendships bring to the relationship and aiding the relationship and sort of taking some of the pressure off of the relationship to be everything to each individual within it. And I think that's one of the negative consequences from my perspective that has taken place within the you know skyrocketing isolation you know, less young men having, having friends, you know, being sexually intimate, et cetera, et cetera, is that the expectations on the relationship have become so intense. And I can't help but feel when I listen to some of the, 
videos and interviews of, of people that are out there. It's like, what are you looking for in a man? And all of a sudden you hear a laundry list of things. And it's like, well, that's your therapist's job and that's your hairdresser's job. And that's your, you know, your best friend's job. And it's just like, holy crap. And so, you know, I think as isolation has spiked, we're, we're just demanding more and more from our relationships and it's crushing them. John, did you have something else to weigh in on there or? So young men, right, they're clay and they need to be sculpted into who it is that they're going to, to become. And when young men are hanging out with other men, they're being challenged. They're learning diplomacy. They're building networks. They're being sculpted uh, through other men and their relationship with other men. Hmm. If they don't have that outlet, if they don't have other men to learn from, to build these skills, then they're in another uh, arena. And maybe they have, they're with a lot of women and being raised by women. And they're now sculpting themselves in the likeness of what these women want. And that can be dangerous because they're being led into the wrong place. And we were talking about the red pill moment. That red pill moment is for all of these young men who don't have strong role models to wake up into, guys, you're going down the wrong path. You need to be doing this for yourself in order to be attractive, in order to, to build your, your network and the business and to be reliable and self-sufficient. You can't be a victim. And if, if they're on the other side of that, uh, they're looking at the world through a, a victim lens and they're being sculpted in all the wrong ways. You know, it was funny. I had been doing some research on what Gen Z are watching dating wise. Now we've been having our show for 16 years. We've been discussing these things. And so we know where we've come from, but I wanted to see what the young kids now are watching. And I went to just pearly things, fresh and fit and oh, and the whatever podcast. And all these podcasts had the same setup. It was a a conservative host, male or female, and a panel of very liberal, lefty, young folks, right? And, the, and so all these girls are Instagram models and OnlyFans models and working in porn. And all of these girls are discussing what it is that they want in men. And the show, why these shows are so popular is all of these girls basically contradict themselves and each other within the, the setting of, of, of this. And the one thing I notice is if any young men are watching this thinking, what do these girls want so I can become that? They're going to be lost, right? And, but this is why the, these young men need the solid male role models so they can move into the right direction to be attractive. Because if the, these girls don't even know what they want, they're young, they're putting themselves online in order to build their own businesses and that's on them. And I, I'm not going to judge what they got to do. That's, that's their choices. But for young men to try to figure out how to strengthen themselves and how to become attractive, they, they can't be listening to these women and molding themselves off of what they're hearing. When I was young, I, I used to get details magazine and I'd read an interview with Drew Barrymore. And I was like, because I thought I'd get secrets out of it. All I got was girl gossip. There was nothing constructive that would allow me to be a better man. And so it's the same thing, just now more of it, right? Now it's just a bunch of OnlyFans girls who are like, here's what you guys need to do. And it's like, no, these guys don't need to be doing that. They need to be building themselves up, yeah. educating themselves, strengthening themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the, the ironic thing is that, and I've, I've, 
dug into all those channels. It's fascinating to watch as a thought experiment, you know, for, for research. But I think what's interesting is that what I've gleaned from all of that is two things. Number one, when you become a man who's pursuing and working towards a life of your own design, like the things that really matter to you, you become more attractive to women, period. And secondly, when I listen to a lot of those young women describe what it is that they're looking for, I immediately become aware that there's a discrepancy between them describing what they think they're attracted to and what arouses them. And oftentimes what men are hearing women describe is the markers that a woman is looking for in order for them to feel safe relationally. But what they're, what's behind the scenes is what they actually want in order to feel sexually aroused, connected, you know, intimate with, with that man. And so I think that's one of the big discrepancies and one of the major confusions that has shown up in the last probably decade within online content is, is that like when we as young men, I got caught in this trap as well, go in and listen as, to women that are trying to describe what they're looking for in a man and we start to try and pursue that. It's oftentimes that we as young men mold ourselves into an image of what we think a woman wants in order to, for her to feel safe. And she might feel safe in the relationship, but she might lose a, a sense of arousal towards a man. And so that arousal and that deep level of attraction oftentimes comes from a man who is pursuing the things that he really wants in life, building himself into the man that he wants to be physically, emotionally, psychologically in his career and his purpose, you know, and his finances and really starting to shape a direction for himself as a man, because that is, that's deeply rewarding, deeply attractive and deeply arousing. So I just wanted to put that out there. I think we should probably switch. We're going to stop. We're going to take one stop on the AI front. And then I want to wrap this conversation up talking about how do we build quality relationships, both with other men and with women. And um, yeah, we might have to carry that on into a separate conversation because uh, I feel like there's lots to discuss there. And we kind of went down the rabbit holes, which was amazing. How do you think AI is going to impact mating and dating? I'm just going to very open-ended question because I'm curious to get your guys' take. Yeah. So I think it's going to change dating for everyone. And I think the smart ones are going to learn how to leverage AI for their productivity to be less tied to their nine to five, to be less tied to trading their time for money. And they're going to allow that time and freedom to create more in-person connection and more optionality in their dating life. I think it's also going to be disastrous for many who are going to fall for the catfishing and spend way too much time trying to leverage AI in their dating life. So I think it's going to be a catch-22 and it's going to become even more of an online dating maze for many men, funhouse mirrors with the ability to chat with bots and bots to create profiles and all of this. But I think the smart ones, which is what we're hopeful for our clients, are going to use these AI tools in the productivity realm to increase their earning potential, to gather more resources, and then to use that time freedom that they got from using these productivity tools in AI to spend more time meeting quality partners in real life, in person. And when we talk about online dating, it's a, it's a great tool on your tool belt. It should be one of many, but the whole point of online is to meet in person. And the sooner you can meet in person, 
the faster you're going to avoid catfish, the faster you're going to avoid spending way too much time divulging all this information about yourself to an AI bot on the other Mm -hmm. end. And you're going to actually find the chemistry, the spark, and the quality of relationship that you're looking for. The trap and pitfall that many men find themselves in is that online creates a level of safety and security that leads to rapport building and oversharing and, oh, I'm just going to send another message and I'm going to keep the conversation going instead of push for the in-person date. And that's going to be the trap that becomes even larger with AI and bots creating more beautiful photo filters, more beautiful profiles, and more verbose responses to chats. I just want to add to that as well is that AI, it's intelligence of other people and who you are and what you're going to be attracted to and your interests is just going to continue to get better. It's already, we already have it in predictive marketing where they can predict our next purchase. So imagine now they understand your attraction triggers. So you're going to be manipulated more so than you already are now. And so the less time that you spend looking for love online and in real life, the better off you're going to be because you're just going to be more susceptible to all the tricks, manipulation that's, that's already going on. That's only going to get better as these tools develop. As AJ mentioned, there's going to be the folks who learn how to leverage that and use it to their advantage, but it's, you still have to be careful, but nothing is going to replace the skills, diplomacy and strengthening that you're going to get to your human body in real life. Yeah. I, it's, I couldn't agree more with what you guys are saying. And somebody sent me, a buddy of mine actually sent me a recent South Park episode and I haven't watched South Park in so damn long. I didn't even know it was still going. Yeah. Uh, but, but I was like, okay, I'll, I'll dig into this. And it was absolutely freaking hilarious that yeah. the kids, the, the boys were using chat GPT in order to respond back to their girlfriends, you know, so they weren't even reading the text messages. They were just using chat GPT right. to respond back to their girlfriends and their girlfriends were having these big elaborate conversations with them and they were totally duped. And then it created all these problems. But I was like, huh, that's interesting. You know, like to the ways in which AI is going to get used and how it will create all kinds of complications. I mean, it's just, it's just endless. So uh, so the return to building quality relationships in person. So let's talk about that. Let's close off on on this. What are some of the key foundations when it comes to, let's just start with an intimate relationship. What are some of the key foundations for you guys in terms of building quality relationships? It's time plus vulnerability. And the science shows that you're not going to skip ahead and create a quality relationship spending one month a year together or two hangouts a summer together. You need quality time with that person, male or female, romantic or platonic. And there needs to be a level of vulnerability that leads to trust. And vulnerability is a scary thing, especially for us men. We're taught that vulnerability is a weakness from a pretty young age to avoid emotions, to be stoic, the rise of stoicism among young men, which we hear time and time again, again, falls into this exact idea that vulnerability is weak and we don't want to show it with partners or with friends. But ultimately, the science shows it's time plus vulnerability equals quality relationship. So how are you going to carve out the time? As I talked about AI and productivity, how are you going to make space in your life to host people, to welcome people into your life, to travel together, to get that quality 
time together. And I know you host retreats. We've hosted mm-hmm. retreats over the years. People are craving that quality time away from devices together with other like-minded individuals. So those who actually take impetus and take control and take charge and plan something and invite people into their life, we teach the social sales funnel in our program for this exact reason, creates the time necessary to build the quality relationship. Vulnerability, it happens on a continuum. Of course, jumping into this conversation, you didn't ask Johnny and I, what are your political leanings? What's your religion? What's your marital status? You know, you said, hey, tell me a story that was really poignant from your past. And we shared that moment. Well, that's vulnerability. Your past is that jumping off point of vulnerability to creating connection with people in your life. So what stories do you share? How do you share yourself on that first date? Are you talking about those really reflective moments, those impactful moments in your life? in your upbringing, in the way you were raised, trips you went on, things that lit you up as a kid? Are you sharing your past experiences? And then once we feel more comfortable in that vulnerability of our past, then we move to our present, which is our thoughts, beliefs, values around the world around us. How do we operate in the here and now? And then we move to our hopes and dreams and future aspirations. And that continuum of vulnerability, if you master it in your communication, in your storytelling and your openness and sharing with other people and you maximize time together, well, you can create quality relationships. And that's a big part of the work that we do with our clients is recognizing you need to create time. So how do you become more impactful with your time? And are you utilizing it in ways that bring people into your life? And then when they are there with you, are you getting vulnerable? Are you getting real? Are you dropping the social mask, the social media filters that we're all using in our life? And are you sharing who you really are with those people? The sooner you get comfortable with that, the easier it is to spark those quality relationships, both on the first date or in the social group, the men's group, the retreat, whatever the case may be with meeting other people in your life. Love that. John, do you want to weigh in on this as well? You got to find what you're interested in and dig in. And, you know, Connor and, uh, and AJ and myself, we all gave our these moments in time that led us to where we are now. And including your story, Connor, you were interested in chasing something else that led you here. AJ was chasing a medical profession. I was chasing a musical profession. And without digging in, we wouldn't have gotten here. And I I still play music. I'm in the middle of making a, a record right now. I've been playing in bands this whole time at a high level, hosting and having residencies in New York and Los Angeles and and having more fun playing music than I ever had trying to make it a career. But it has also led to opening up new interests in other areas and other disciplines that I just love them become obsessed with that has influenced my writing in music. And that has only allowed me to enjoy music even more. And what I see for the younger generation is Don't say you care about anything because then people can judge you. And the only things that you should be caring about is the the DEI stuff that they have going on. But you have to dig in somewhere. And the only way to dig in is to care and to take an interest and and, and, and align with something. And those things don't have to be in stone. They will change as, as you change. I saw it in the Gen X side when there there was this thing about slacker generation and slacker culture, which is detached from everything and don't care. And to me, I felt that that was was shortchanging you in life. 
Because to get the most out of life, you have to find things to carry. You have to find meaning, right? That's where all the good stuff is. That's where the challenges are. That's where the fighting and overcoming and the sculpting comes from. Yeah, I, I value what you're saying because I think I think it's easy for older generations to look at the up and coming generation and say, ah, oh, you guys are really fucking it up. And to not take any accountability over like, well, how did we screw some shit up for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really, it's really an easy thing to do. And I also, you know, I also look at the younger generation. Like I, I see guys coming out to our weekends and joining our workshops that are like 21 and 24. And I'm like, damn, like you guys are hustlers. Yep. Like you guys like building businesses and starting careers and working on master's degrees. And I'm like, man, you guys are so much further ahead than I was. You know, I was, I didn't go to college until I was like 23 or 24 years old. Cause I was, you know, working construction in a gravel pit and building sidewalks for God's sakes. You know, like I didn't have a fucking clue what I wanted to do, but I was trying and testing and figuring it out. And so I think the, the reason why I love having this conversation about what's happening with young men is that I think sometimes the data also paints a picture that can be so skewed. And I think that while there are certainly young men that are struggling, there are absolutely young men that are really being innovative and creative and hustling and, and working in ways that, that are just astounding and aspiring to me. You know, like there's young men, I mean, I look at somebody like Mr. Beast. I mean, the guy's not even 30 yet. And I, I think he got an offer to buy his company for like $2 billion or something like that. And he turned it down. You know, so I, I look at guys like that where it's like, man, you're using technology in a way that nobody else is. So I think that there's a lot. I, I, I say all that to say, you know, we had a, a pretty nuanced and in-depth conversation about a lot of things that young men are going through today. But I don't want anybody to take this conversation and be like, oh, young men are screwed. Because I don't think that that's the case at all. And maybe I should have front loaded this part of the conversation. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll put that into the intro. But like, I, I think that there are a lot of young men who, while there's like this lost quality that's emerging of like, you know, I don't have direction. Where do I go? How do I find guidance? And they're going on to YouTube and, and trying to source it out. I think that there's a tremendous reinvigoration from young men to find what matters most to them. And that gives me a tremendous amount of hope. And I think that there's also a reinvigoration to connect to masculinity in a potent and healthy way that I don't think I've seen in a while. And so that also gives me a tremendous amount of hope for, for tomorrow and the future. But any final thoughts from you guys um, that you want to just pick up on that and then we'll maybe we'll close yeah, out? Yeah, I completely agree. I, we talked a lot about cultural forces and at times it can feel like a riptide. When in actuality, I just think it's a, it's a tide and it's a wave we have to surf. We have technology. We're not going to stop it. It's ever present in our life and it's growing even more present in our life. So are you going to build the surfboard and are you going to ride the wave? Uh, when we started this, no one was podcasting. Now everyone is doing it and, and it's a great way to learn. I encourage everyone to start their own podcast. It's a great way to learn, to make a living, to grow to master communication, to learn how you show up and to get experts on your show, get access to knowledge and information. All of these things that we talked about today, we have agency to rise above. 
we have people that we can choose to follow. We have stories that we could choose to tell ourselves, And the narrative that we're hopeful that everyone listening chooses is one of build their surfboard and ride these waves to your advantage instead of sitting there floating around complaining about the waves, complaining about the temperature of the water, complaining about the beach that seems so far from you at shore. So I'm hopeful. I'm excited. And I feel just like you. I love the young men joining our programs. We also have 60, 70 year old men joining our programs and reinvigorating themselves and joining the, the online dating market and getting an iPhone just to hop on these apps. So, you know, I think as men, we have the ability to change our story and narrative and to create the life that we want for ourselves. And I'm excited and hopeful that our audiences align so much. And thank you again for bringing us on to share this message. Couldn't agree more. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. We will have the links in the show notes for uh, all of your work and for people to go and find you and uh, follow along with your show and your offerings. And not the end of this conversation. I'm sure that we will do this again soon because this was uh, this was a blast. And, and I feel like we could have probably gone for a few more hours on a bunch of different topics that would have taken us off into the weeds. Yeah, we could have we could have gone down some routes. Like there was a couple areas I was like, oh, did we go just like double down on that right now? Or it's like how much time we got left? But I appreciate all of you for everybody that's out there. Don't forget to man it forward. Uh, share this podcast with somebody that you know will enjoy at this conversation. And as always, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Thank you.